All right. Now, if you'll join me on uh, the back, we're reading from 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, now Brian's going to come up and intro our speaker. All right, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, again, I know that they're kind of old, um, but number one, um, it's really, really important to us as a church family that we are good neighbors. Um, our neighbor right here is a woman named Judy Kennedy, and uh, her, her parents homesteaded in Malibu, I think, in the 1940s. So she's lived here a really long time. Great, very kind, gracious woman. And um, she puts up with us meeting here. So just imagine like where you live and then there's a church meeting right next door. Some people wouldn't even like that. Then we've got Russell right here, Russell and Rhonda. They actually let us use their power. We have power cords, like we steal power from them and we, we try to be kind to them as well too. So, um, you know, sometimes we'll have people come up like we did a few weeks ago. Um, the McKinsey's came up. And Allison and Sarah spoke about going to Africa and, and doing helpful, kind things to people there. Um, but and uh, and we've gone to Haiti, different places. But those things are really important. But um, equally, and maybe even more important, is that how we live in our own neighborhood and how um, we interact with people just right here. So it's really, really important just to um, be aware of that and and be thoughtful. Maybe even say hello, introduce yourself sometime. And uh, again, that's Judy and Russell and Rhonda right here. So, um, and one of the things we can do um, by being a good neighbor is by parking inside here. We've got parking right here and we've got parking in the back. And so by not parking on the street, that just helps us be a, a good neighbor. So that's why if you're wondering, why do we always ask people to come in here? Well, it's because we want to be good neighbors and we've got a, a beautiful eucalyptus forest. You can park your car in uh, right there. So it's one of the few empty lots right here uh, near the beach. So park in a beautiful place. Um, I had another announcement, but I don't recall what it is. Um, this morning, Rob Shear is going to speak, and um, we're doing a, a short series on um, the, the means of grace, the things that God gives to us to live out the Christian life. And I started two weeks ago on community, and then Joel spoke last Sunday on prayer. And this morning, Rob is going to speak on God's word and how God speaks to us. One of the ways that we live out the Christian life is by hearing God's voice. And so that happens through God's word. So uh, Rob is a, a newer friend for me. I, I first remember uh, hearing about Rob through Russell. And Russell was like, I've got this great friend, this great guy, um, and you've got to meet him. And so, I don't know, maybe nine months or so, um, we've known each other. And um, just a, a growing uh, uh, friendship that I have with Rob and, and so much respect and admiration for him and um, for how he loves his wife and his son and just how he conducts himself. So um, I invite you to have your Bible ready, and he's going to speak to us this morning from Second Timothy. Thanks, Rob. Do you want me? Can you hear me with this? 
Can we just move this out of the way? Or? Okay. All right, good morning, church. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak here today. Uh, if you don't know me, I haven't been here that long, so there are probably several of you that don't. I'm Rob Shear. Um, my wife and I have lived in Malibu now just over five years, and we've been attending here at the gathering uh, since this last spring. And I'm a professor at Pepperdine, uh, where I teach statistics to the undergrads. And I recognize uh, that the idea of a professor and a statistics professor at that, uh, <laughs> preaching today probably has many of you looking for ways to escape. Um, and given that our church has no walls and has no doors, uh, there are plenty of ways for you just to kind of quietly roll out and escape. But, but let, me, let me ask you not to do that. Um, but here's why. I, I think I've learned the, the two keys to public speaking. And the first is that you, you need to have something important to say and the second is you need to say it quickly and then sit down. <laughs> and, and so I hope, I hope that you find uh, that what I have to say today is important. I hope you find value in it. Uh, but I do promise that I'll be done in under 20 minutes. So I can, I can definitely control the second. Um, so I not only teach at Pepperdine, but I also I live on campus. So my world is a world of 18 to 21 year olds. And as you know, they all depart in the summer. And it leaves a large hole here in Malibu. And you can, you can see it here in the church with some of the empty seats that we have here. Uh, but they are coming back in just a few weeks, so get ready. And in fact, the new freshman class will be here on the 22nd in just two weeks uh, for their new, their new student orientation. And I love seeing the new freshmen alive. Uh, or live. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole other sermon. Um, no, I, lo I love seeing the new freshmen arrive. Uh, they bring an energy to the campus um, that is wonderful to see. And during their orientation, one of the things that, that they get is they are, they're assigned an academic advisor. And this is just someone who can answer questions about what classes should I take? Is this major hard? Is this major easy? Uh, things like that. And so about 15 or 20 of them are going to be assigned me as their advisor. And a number of them, not all 15 to 20, but a number of them will immediately, upon getting my name, either text me, call me, or email me, and they'll want to meet and talk about their four-year plan. See, these are students, they haven't even spent one minute in a classroom yet. And yet they, they already know what their four years at college are going to look like. They've determined their schedules for the next eight semesters. They've figured out which firms they want to intern with, even possibly where they're going to work after they graduate. And although I haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to be surprised if one day a student comes in and they've already pre-selected who their spouse is going to be. <laughs> See, they know where they are, and they know where they want to be in four years. And they're asking me to sign off on their plan and saying, yes, this, if I do this, I'll go from A to B. And often at the, at the end of the meeting, I'll ask them about their spiritual plan. I'll ask them, where are you with God now? And where do you want to be in four years? And how are you going to get there? Most of them, not surprisingly, don't have a plan. Some will mention 
well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to find a church in the first week or two of the school year. Others will mention something about, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a quiet time with God every morning. But that's about it. And yet, most of them will tell you that the most important part of their life is their relationship with Christ. And I'll admit it, it's easy and it's fun to make fun of freshmen. They're naive, and that's okay when you're 18 years old. But let me suggest that for too many of us in the church today, older adults, we also lack a spiritual plan. See, we too will also say that Christ is the most important thing in our lives, but we would be hard-pressed to prove it to a casual observer. We know where we are in Christ. We're not quite so certain where we're going. And for far too many of us, we lack a plan to get there. So today is the third of three sermons on ways to receive grace. And grace, of course, is what puts us back in right relationship with God. And it's a free gift from God. And so grace isn't earned, but grace isn't opposed to effort. And many Christians make the mistake of thinking that salvation is just this one-time event. And we wait until we die, and then salvation kicks in, and then we get to go to heaven. And the truth is, Salvation started the day that you accepted Christ. And so grace applies today, tomorrow, and forever. The challenge, of course, is, but how do we now live? See, we are still here in these earthly bodies, and we still sin. So how do we accept and how do we participate in grace given our current state? How do we become like Christ? And I would suggest like those freshmen, what we need is a plan. Now, the Malibu Half Marathon is November 5th, exactly three months from now. And if you want to win the race, you're going to have to prepare, you're going to have to train. See, it isn't enough on race day day to show up with new shoes, the latest running gear, and a burning desire to win. The fact is, the winners started preparing for the race months ago. And in some ways, the race is decided even before the gun goes off. You see, the eventual winner has a plan and is, as we speak, carrying it out. The fact is, this is true of many human endeavors. Effort matters. And in our relationship with God, this is also true. So what is your plan? How do you follow Christ? So two weeks ago, Brian spoke about how we receive grace through gathering together and encouraging one another. And last week, Joel got up and spoke about prayer and how we receive grace through prayer and how it is essential, powerful, and occasionally communal. So today, I want to speak about God's Word. And the reason for that is God's Word is the primary way in which He communicates with us. You know, it was simpler to be a disciple when Christ was still was still here on earth, you just literally followed him. Not saying it was easier, it was just simpler. But we don't have that option today. But we do have the words that he has given us to guide us. And chances are good that you've got some faulty theology bouncing around in your head. I, I know that I do. 
The problem is I just don't know which of my beliefs are off a bit. And for me, spending time in the Word is like shining a flashlight on my life and on my beliefs. And it leads me to the truth. Listen to what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Russell, you want to pull up the first passage? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So how do we abide in God's Word? There we go. So let me suggest there are three things that we can do. We can read the Bible as a story. We can study it as a textbook. And we can meditate, it, meditate on it as if it were a poem. So first, we should read the Bible as a story. This is a great story. Matter of fact, in 1965, Hollywood declared that this was the greatest story ever told. It's a story of God's redemptive love for mankind. And it's valuable for us to know the story. And that's why we're teaching it over here to our little ones. This story explains God's plan and your part in it. And it's a powerful story. Remember what Paul told, told the church in Rome. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, this story is the story of the gospel. It offers us a way back to God. But it is also, admittedly, a long story. Again, it's a big book, even without the maps. And I'll confess, I went through the house and grabbed the biggest Bible I could this morning to make the point. <laughs> but it is. Even if you have a small one, it's just because the pages are real thin. It's been estimated that it takes an average person 70 hours to read the entire Bible, from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way to Revelations. And I'll admit, that's a long time. It's like if you sat down right now, started reading the Bible, read it straight, it would take you almost three days, 24 hours a day. But that is less time than the average American spends per month watching television. But if we take it in small bites, say only 15 minutes a day, if you started today, you'd be done by the beginning of next summer. So how do we take on such an endeavor? The key, I believe, is that we have to make spending time and reading the Bible a habit. You don't have to be a theologian. See, God has promised that His Spirit will help guide us. And if we lack wisdom, if we lack understanding as we read Scripture, God has promised that He'll provide both of those. But make time for it. Not just the few rush minutes here or there, but make it part of your plan to receive grace. Second, we should study the Bible as a textbook, and I'll admit this is where as a teacher I get all excited. There are spiritual truths and insights in Scripture that require a bit of effort to extract. God has provided his, us His Word as a manual for our lives. Listen to what Paul said to the Romans. This is in Romans 15. He said, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scriptures we might have hope. See, Scripture was intended or is intended to instruct us, to show us how we are to live, to show us how we are to respond to God and how we are to respond to one another. 
But it's much, much more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's also a source of encouragement. In it, we are reminded that we are God's children, and this is where our hope lies. So how does this textbook work? This is, we, this is where we go back to the passage that you'll find in your bulletins, in 2 Timothy 3. This is what Paul explained to Timothy. He said, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, Scripture applies to our lives no matter where we are. If you're walking towards God and if you're doing well, Scripture continues to teach you. If you make a mistake and you err and you fall away, Scripture reproves you and points out the mistake that you're making. And then it corrects you and gets you going back in the right direction. And then it trains you in righteousness so that you become more like Christ. And then third, we should meditate on the Word as a song or as a poem. So meditation is the slowest approach that we have to God's Word. We linger. We ponder on each passage, each verse, on each word. Paul wrote to Timothy and directed him. In 2 Timothy, he said, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. See, as we meditate on His Word, God speaks to us and helps us to understand His Word and His will. See, it, wasn't, it was never His intent for Scripture to be confusing, but rather for it to provide a light on our lives. I especially like God's direction to Joshua. So the Israelites have just finished 40 years wandering around the Sinai Desert. An entire generation has died off, a new generation has been raised up, and Moses has just died. And God just taps Joshua on the, soul, on the shoulder and says, alright, you're in charge now, take my people into the Promised Land. But before he goes, this is what God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written within it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. See, although God had led the Israelites by day with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire, and although He had provided them food and drink for 40 years, God knew how quickly they were going to turn from Him. Just as we do. Think about all that God has done in your life. And then think how quickly we can cry out, God, where are you? As if He's abandoned us. And so God commands Joshua to meditate on His Word. Not just on the Sabbath. Not just on His quiet time. Not just when times are tough. But both day and night. One way, that, one way that we can do this is through Scripture memorization. You can memorize chapters, passages, or just a single verse. Memorize what strikes you, where God is speaking to your heart. Write the verses down on a piece of paper, put them in your phone, so that you can go back throughout the day and take a look at it. And don't just memorize it, but meditate on it and allow it to change your heart. See, we are constantly being told by the culture around us who to be, what to do, and what to want. And the only way that I know to counter this culture 
is to spend time in God's Word. And as God told Joshua, both day and night. So in closing, let me share a short story. One of my favorite people to see here every morning is, and sadly he's not here today, but is Soren Eli Wallace Top. And if you don't know him, he stands about yay tall. Uh, surprisingly for the, ga uh, for the gathering, he's a toe-headed kid. We don't have many of those. <laughs> and when I first met him a few months back, I asked him what he wanted, wanted me to call him. I said, you want me to call you Eli, Eli Soren, or something else? He looked up at me and said, I want you to call me Captain Underpants. <laughs> Which, just like you, set him to laughing. And I told him, okay, but not just for today. Whatever you tell me to call you, I'm going to call you that forever. Today, next week, next month, a year from now, when you graduate high school, forever. And he persisted. I want you to call me Captain Underpants. And so I call him Captain Underpants. But every, new, every week, he's got a new name that he wants me to call him. But I'm sticking to Captain Underpants. I won't change. And the desire to change who you are and what you are called is cute and adorable when you're four years old. But not so much when you're 40. See, we are here because we've taken on the name Christian. We have decided to follow Jesus, and there is no turning back for us. There is no picking of a new name. Instead, we need to be more like the one that we've decided to follow. And we do that together. We do that by spending time in God's Word, and we do that by spending time in prayer. So, I didn't time it. I think that's under 20 minutes. But that's all I've got. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll finish up with worship. Father, we thank you for the gift of your grace that gives us the opportunity to restore our relationship with you. Help us to become more holy, more Christ-like, not to earn grace, but rather just in response to it. I thank you for this fellowship, this collection of brothers and sisters in Christ that surround us. I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come to you every day in prayer. And I thank you for the word and the light that it gives to our lives. Amen.